All right, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and before we read the passage, I want to set some context. We've been going through 1 Timothy 3 at this church. And remember, 1 Timothy is a church order book. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 state that Paul wrote this letter to show that one, how, one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. So this is a church order lecture or letter. The first two chapters deal with the glorious gospel and distortions of it, and the second chapter deal with corporate prayer and gender roles in the local church. When we get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we get qualifications for overseers and qualifications for deacons. So in the church order letter, we have a section on church leadership. Church leadership is is necessary for healthy churches, like a trellis that supports a vine. When the trellis is done well, the vine grows and the gospel grows. That's what 1 Timothy 3 tells us, that no church rises above its leaders. And that's why we should lean in today. Before we read the text, I also want to talk about our cultural context. Our culture is very confused about the issue of church structure and church leadership. If you look around in the church in America, you will probably be confused and wonder if the Bible speaks about church leadership or church structure at all. With every permutation known to man, almost every church does things differently. Does the Bible give us any information? Does the Bible tell us how the church should function and how the church should be structured? What are the qualifications for church leadership? Are terms like campus pastor, ruling elder, senior pastor, children's minister, should there be term limits? Do, do pastors need, need an MDiv or a PhD? Do they need to be ordained? Should a pastor be results-oriented or creative, as one job posting in our city has told us? I love this church, and I've been a member of this church since it very began. And so I am zealous for our church to have healthy church leadership. A recovery of healthy church leadership in America will bring revitalization to the church in America. That is what 1 Timothy 3 tells us. Before you say, well, this doesn't apply to me, I'm not going to be a church leader, I want to give three three things for everyone to lean into by way of application before we read the text. Number one, these qualifications are for every Christian to try to emulate. Why is that? Because most of these qualifications are character-based. We all need to grow in our character so we can all lean in and listen. Number two, we want to, at Grace Community Church, to add more elders over the next several years. What kind of elders, what kind of overseers, what kind of pastors will we add? What will be their characteristics? Well, 1 Timothy 3 gives us a framework to do that. And then lastly, and this is sad, but good, that... Uh, in the next 5, 10, or 15 years, many of you will be moving cities, for, either for a job or providentially having to move, uh, and you will be picking another church. What will you look for in that church? My hope is that you will look for the healthiest church you can find and give your life to it. Give your life to it, and that will be involved with looking at what is a healthy church eldership team. And so let's read the text. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, 
He must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's pray. God, we count it a privilege uh, to worship you this morning. Uh, we are in your presence, and we want to give you the glory that's due your name. We've sang, we've prayed, we've taken the Lord's Supper, and now we want to sit under your word. We want to hear your voice, and you speak through the Bible. God, help us to have hearts that are responsive, ears that are willing to hear, eyes that can see. Lord, change us through your word. Lord, make us more holy as a congregation and teach us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So, as we get into the text, the first thing that we see is the phrase, the saying is trustworthy. This is the second time this phrase is used in 1 Timothy. The first time it's used, Greg preached on this, that it says, this saying is trustworthy, that Christ came into the world to save sinners. So the first trustworthy saying that's in this letter is around the gospel. I think it's notable that the second trustworthy saying that Paul gives to Timothy is about church leadership. Church leadership helps support and uphold the gospel. That's why we should lean in and see what God has for us in this text. The second point I want to make, and this flows from last week's sermon that Paul gave in 1 Timothy chapter 2, is that our Bibles, if you have an ESV Bible like me, gives someone helpful divisions. It's hard to make divisions in the Bible, but uh, my chapter 2 ends on a page, and then chapter 3 begins on the next page. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 are actually connected. Chapter 2 begins with a conversation about corporate prayer and ends with gender roles and the appropriate roles of men and women in the local church. In chapter 2, verse 12, Paul states that a woman should not teach or exercise authority over a man. And then he goes on to give his grounds for that, which is in the creation order. Chapter 3 comes out of that. Chapter 3 begins where chapter 2 ends. It begins with the idea that church leadership or church eldership is male. It's masculine. The pronouns he, him, or his are used ten times in these seven verses. An elder is called to be the husband of one wife. He's called to be male. When we are created by God, pre-fall, we are created male and female. When we are saved by God, we are grown into the likeness of our masculinity and femininity. Just like men are called to lead in their homes, they are called to lead in the local church. Women can do many things in God's church. As we study 1 Timothy chapter 5, we're going to see amazing things that women can do to bless the local church. Other passages, like in Titus, say that women can teach other women. In Philippians, Paul extols women for being laborers side by side with him in the gospel. So women have a privileged place in the church, but the particular office of elder or overseer or pastor is reserved for men. The second point I want to show us is that chapter 3 orients uh, the church around two offices, the office of elder and the office of deacon, office of overseer and the office of deacon. These are comprehensive. Every leader of the local church should fit into those two categories. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 give the same point. When Paul addresses the Philippian church, he speaks to the saints, and it says to the elders and deacons, or to the overseers and deacons. So when Paul looks at a church, he looks at members, deacons, and overseers. That is the categories of leadership in the local church. A few more thoughts. So when you get to chapter 3, verse 1, the first office you see is the office of overseer, or what I want to tell you is that the office of overseer is the same office of elder and pastor. When you see the office of pastor, elder, or overseer in the scriptures, what you see is the same office with words that describe the function of that office. So when you see the word overseer, that indicates oversight or supervision, The Greek word is where we get the word episcopal from, or bishop. The word elder is where we get the word presbytery from, or presbyteroi. It communicates maturity and wisdom. 
The word pastor, or literally shepherd, this communicates personal care for the flock of God. When the Bible uses one of these terms, it describes the same office, but emphasizes a different angle in that office. There are several places in the scriptures that show the interchangeableness of these offices. Turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 is a, is a complementary passage to, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what you get is a very similar list of qualifications for the role of elder or overseer in the church. In Titus chapter 1 verse 5, we learn what Paul wants to communicate to Titus. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so what Paul wants to do is for Timothy to appoint elders in every single town. And then you, you go down to verse 7, he says, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be, and then he gives a list of qualifications. And so he addresses Titus, and he says for Titus to appoint elders, and then he describes those elders as overseers. The office is interchangeable. This is done in several other places in the Bible. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul calls for the elders in Ephesus to come to him, he addresses the elders in verse 17, and in verse 28, he calls them overseers. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he does something similar, where he calls himself, Peter calls himself an elder. And then when he talks about the function of that office, he, he mentions oversight and shepherding. These words are all similar and used to describe the same office. So when you walk through the Bible and you see elder, overseer, or pastor, you should think same office. So the qualifications are the same. The biblical model of church leadership does not give different qualifications for pastors, elders, or overseers. The qualifications are the same. So a pastor who is not able to preach God's word is not a pastor. An elder who is not able to teach God's word is not a pastor. Um, a, a, a pastor who is not mature is not an overseer. This, this is helpful as we think about adding elders at Grace Community Church in the future. The biblical, biblical model gives these offices all the same function. The next point I want to make is that in this passage, what you get is a plurality of elders. We learn in Acts chapter 20 that I just mentioned that he called the elders of Ephesus to come to him. And then this book is written to Timothy while he's in Ephesus, and he wants him to appoint more elders. And so the model in the church is not one elder, but many. Not one overseer, but many. Not one pastor, but many. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, caused what's going on in Ephesus, a council of elders. And in chapter 5, verse 17, what you get is elders, plural, who rule well. This is mentioned in several other places, like in Titus, where I just mentioned, where he wants elders to be appointed in every church. Churches without biblically qualified elders are disordered. And when churches have elders or overseers, plural, it is a blessing to the church. A congregation that has a president or CEO type mentality is going to be prone to domination or burnout. The role of shepherding in the church is not meant for one person. It's meant to be a team of people working together, encouraging the flock, and sharing the burden. A team of elders with different giftings, different weaknesses, different strengths, blesses the church. A team uh, or elders with one elder or one overseer will probably burn out the church. The next point I want to make is I want to get into the three qualifications for elders or overseers in the text. So the three qualifications are the desire for the work, the character of the overseer, and the ability to teach. Those are the three things that we need to look for at Grace Community Church as we add elders. The desire for the work, the character of that elder, and the ability to teach. So first, the desire for the work. In verse 1 it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This literally means stretch out or reach out. An aspiration. The desire to do the work is necessary. 
a haphazard, a reluctant overseer is not a blessing to God's people. 1 Peter 5 tells us that the elder should be eagerly desiring the office, not reluctant. There are men who love God's word and men who are, have godly character but do not desire the work of overseer. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 20 verse 28 calls the overseers put in place by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, this is an aspiration that's worthwhile in God's, in God's church. It's commended. Paul commends the church leaders to aspire to the office. But he doesn't just say the aspiration is enough. The question is, do they want to do the work of ministry? This noble task or good work was what it literally means shows that there's actual labor associated with the office. It's not easy. It's difficult. As Ryan and Dustin can probably tell you, it can be very difficult to pastor or lead God's church. There is labor associated with the position. Many times, we can treat this position as like a board of directors. When you're a successful businessman, sometimes you'll be asked to be on a board of directors. You meet once or twice a year. You make some decisions. You renew some contracts. Um, eat some food, and you go home. That is not how the office of elder overseer functions. It's actual work. First, Tim, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, tell us that elders do what they call labor among the flock. We should appoint pastors that will give themselves to every church member to present them mature and holy in the Lord. How do we know if someone desires the work? How do we know... Who desires the work? Well, 1 Peter 5 tells us they should do it eagerly. Well, how do you know if they're eager to do it? Well, are they doing it now? Is somebody, the person we should appoint, or a person that other churches should appoint, are they doing the work of eldering now? Are they handling God's word? Are they shepherding God's people now? Those are the type of people that we should appoint at this church. Eagerly is a really important phrase that's used in 1 Peter chapter 5. And that models our Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need elders and pastors and overseers who are eagerly about the work of ministry. Number two, the character. And this is actually the meat of the passage. When you take a bird's eye view of this passage, what you get is that the elder needs to be above reproach. The word above reproach is used in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach serves as a banner over all the qualities that are listed in this passage. There are ten traits listed. Above reproach serves as a guide as you interpret these particular uh, characteristics. The overseer is called as an under-shepherd to shepherd God's people. And the way he does that is by preaching the word of God and the gospel. The gospel is commended when someone's life undergirds it and upholds it. Unfortunately, a, a man who is not blameless, as Titus says, can mar or obscure the gospel. We need men that their life matches their doctrine. And that is what above reproach means. Character is forged to the by the Lord Jesus Christ working on a man, changing him and molding him to be like Christ. Character is a fruit of grace, changed by the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit. These men are the ones who are called to lead the local church. The two main categories of above reproach in this text, the way I want to split them out is self-mastery on one hand and relational integrity on the other. So first, I want to turn to self-mastery. I have them listed in your study guide that the uh, overseer must be above reproach, and then it says sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. An overseer or an elder must have character and control of himself. As John Stott put it, if he doesn't have control of himself, how can he control and manage God's church? The gospel is the best news in all the world, and an elder must have self-mastery to proclaim it. 
Sober-minded in this text means vigilant or temperate. Self-controlled denotes discipline and prudence. Respectable illustrates internal temperance that plays itself out externally. There's a harmonious nature to his character that begins in the heart and plays out in his actions. A team of elders that are respectable have harmony between their inward and outward character. They're the same at home as they are in public. An undisciplined pastor will not thrive in leadership because shepherding is a marathon and not a sprint. Uh, It takes time and effort to study God's Word, to preach, to counsel, to do weddings, funerals, long phone calls. This is hard work. As I understand, marathoners, I've never ran one, take a lot of regimented hard work. This is how our elders must function. If marathoners need uh, diligence and self-mastery, how much more will God's pastors or elders? Not only must he have self-mastery, but he also must be in control of his cravings. His cravings. The desire for alcohol and money can corrupt a pastor. The command here in the first place, if you look in verse 3, is that he's not a drunkard. It means he must not be controlled by alcohol. It does not mean that he cannot drink at all. Actually, the Bible consistently portrays alcohol as a blessing from God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says that in the context of food, as one of our brothers will talk about in the next few weeks, is created by God and good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Jesus himself blessed a wedding with alcohol in his first miracle. However, what God intended to be a blessing, we can turn into a curse without prudence or moderation. Alcohol not taken in moderation or drunkenness can hinder God's church. The Bible talks about it decreasing man's faculties, his ability to think and remember God's law. And in Isaiah and in Proverbs 31, it perverts the justice of God. So a man who cannot control his lusts and cravings is a man who cannot serve and bless the flock. This does not mean that he cannot have ever been a drunkard, because that would, uh, if you read through these qualities, that would take out a lot of us. A lot of us have been uh, uh, sold in sin. But as 1 Corinthians 6 tells us, we can be washed, we can be sanctified, and we can be justified. We can be made new. And that's what the Lord does to His elders and His overseers. He changes them, brings them, and makes them new, and causes them not to love alcohol or even money. The next thing that a pastor must not be prone to is the love of money. He must be a contented man, a man who is happy in the Lord Jesus and faithful with his, with his money. A contented man is one who doesn't have anything have a too tight grip on him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And with food and clothing, this will be content. Our Lord Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. He was the Son of Man. He had nowhere to lay his head. A pastor is a true joy and blessing to the congregation when there's no strings attached. When he's not beholden to any member or any doctrine because of money. Elders who see this as a calling and not a job, not a professional lifestyle, these are a blessing to the congregation. A team of elders that are contented in the Lord and not beholden to money or the things of the world are a great blessing to the local church. So not only must he have control of alcohol and money, but he must be in control of his emotions. This is a particular thing, uh, sorry, uh, a particular thing that men are prone to. Men are prone uh, to lose control or to be angry. If you look at chapter 3, verse 3, it says, They must not be violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. The King James calls this a striker or someone who is a bully or prone to fighting. A pastor and elder is a happy fighter. He doesn't shrink back from false doctrine or fighting sin, but he doesn't love the fight. He doesn't 
He doesn't uh, go seek it out. A pastor should be a mixture of tenderness and toughness. A gentle giant. Jesus Christ is our example in this regard. He threw out the money changers. He confronted the Pharisees. But a faintly burning wick and a bruised reed he would not break. He was gentle and lowly in heart that weary souls would come and find their rest in. He hung out with sinners, and, but he never strayed from being righteously angry over sin. But he, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we learn that he is full of meekness and gentleness, and pastors should emulate this. In Ezekiel chapter 34, we see a group of elders in the Old Testament um, being uh, chastised by the prophet Ezekiel, and it says they ruled with force and harshness. It should not be so with God's elders or God's shepherds. Jesus washed the feet of his people and played with children. That's the kind of meekness and gentleness that pastoring or eldering requires. The second thing I want to mention about their emotions is that not only are they not bullies, but they're not quarrelsome. An overseer that's frequently embroiled in conflict is a danger to the unity of the church. Someone who loves to argue, lives for it, whether it's on social media or in person, is not a man that's a peacemaker or a consensus builder. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's what our Lord Jesus wants in a pastor. Overseers should lead the church as examples, like James chapter 3, verse 17, where wisdom, true wisdom, is described as pure, peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Though Paul instructed Timothy to wage the good warfare and fight the good fight of faith, he wants them to do that full of gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit and should mark every pastor, elder, or overseer who shepherds God's people. Pastoring, eldering in the lives of people is very difficult. You will be dealing with sin and struggle. And so you need patience. You need gentleness to do that work. John Stott called this a yieldedness. And another commentator I read called it a sweet reasonableness. That should mark our pastors. At GCC, in the next few years, as we add elders, the question will be, do they know sound doctrine? Can they thunder God's word? But also, can they admit they're wrong? Can they defer for the sake of the weaker brother? Can they accept instruction? Those are the kind of overseers that bless God's church. The next thing I want to talk about in the context of self-mastery is the idea that he must not be a new convert. Go down with me to verse 6. It says, He must not be a recent convert, or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What this tells us is, is that what God wants in His overseers, His team of elders, is maturity and humility. New converts <clears throat> tend to have pride. Pride is what casts Satan out of heaven. It is, was his chief sin. Pride is disqualifying in God's church. And frequently, the twin graces of maturity and humility come with time. So, he doesn't give an age requirement. What he says is not a new convert, or most literally it says a new plant. Someone whose roots are not drilled down deep, where they're not moved. A new plant can be easily plucked up, but a deeply rooted tree that gets his, its roots deep in the gospel. Character that's been forged through time and experience. Things like graces from God, like a wife or a job or children. It forges character. These are instruments in the Redeemer's hand to sanctify us, point us to Christ, conform us to His image. Many ministers have fallen due to pride. Humility is essential. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, we're told not to be hasty in laying on of hands. 
Meaning don't point, appoint elders too quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says this, And let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. So in the qualifications for deacons, there's a, a requirement for a time of testing. The word also, in verse 10, links the section on deacons with the section on elders. Elders must be tested as well. We need pastors at Grace Community Church who are not self-confident or brash, but have been humbled by the gospel. They're like Jacob, who have wrestled with God and have walked away with a limp. And that's how they shepherd. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so, that concludes the part on self-mastery. An elder or an overseer must have control of himself. But he also must have relational integrity or fidelity. The next few characteristics I want to talk about are in relation to the family. Marriage, children, insiders and outsiders, should, those relationships with the pastor, elder, overseer should be marked by fidelity, by integrity. The first characteristic that's mentioned in verse 2 is the husband of one wife, or literally a one-woman man. What this qualification illustrates is that a man who desires the office must be faithful to his wife, as NIV puts it. This phrase conveys faithfulness through and through in his actions and his thoughts. His outward life, his cell phone, his computer, all of the above. A pastor who does not love his wife, how can we be sure he will love God's church? If he won't lay down his life for his wife, how will we be sure if he will lay down his life for the church? Overseers are called to be examples to the flock. This also means their marriages as well. We're not talking about perfection, but devotion. I want to make a comment uh, about, is marriage required for the office? What about divorce? What about remarriage? These are all questions that come from this text. I believe that if you take Jesus and Paul as examples, and 1 Corinthians 7 as a, a clear teaching on that being married is uh, or being single is a gift, like Paul, then marriage is not a requirement for the office. However, it is normative. Most of the people who live on the face of the earth will get married and have children. A very small subset of people will have the gift of singleness. This means if you take above reproach as a banner for these qualifications, a single man is not, uh, it is actually permitted to be a member of the eldership. Um, if we take being married as a requirement, then I think we would also have to take plural children. If you look at verse 4, he says, He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. This would mean a man with one child would not be qualified for the office. What I think this means is that if a man is married, or if a man has children, which is certainly normative, those relationships would be above reproach or marked by fidelity. 1 Timothy 4 tells us that false teachers will forbid marriage. Marriage is a blessing. We should not be like the Roman Catholic Church who requires celibacy for its pastors or the false teachers in 1 Timothy chapter 4 who require it as well. Marriage is a blessing. And actually, marriage and children are a great training ground for elders, overseers, and shepherds. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 9, it's a section about widows. In verse 9, it says, A widow must be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. This is a complimentary phrase, or it basically means a one-man woman. So what you get later on in chapter 5 is that he encourages certain women who have lost their husbands to get remarried. So this passage doesn't mean that you can only have to be married once. So someone whose wife has passed away and has remarried, that person is not disqualified from the office. I think if you take faithfulness to your wife as uh, a ground to look in this passage, I think that would also be applied to people who are divorced for biblically qualified reasons. But I think, overall, 
the desertion of an unbeliever, unrepentant adultery as a ground for divorce would need to be uh, discussed on a case-by-case basis with a plurality of elders with wisdom. But based on this passage, I think a one-woman man would be faithful to his wife. Not only must a man be faithful to his wife, he must be a leader in his home. He must be a leader in his home. Not only should he lay down his life for his wife, but he should lay down his life for his children. This should be seen in a home that is marked by joy and obedience. Richard Baxter called our households little churches. In verse 4 he says he must manage his household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage their own household, how will he care for God's church? In Titus chapter 1, we get more information about this, where it says that the pastor must have a home where the children are not prone to insubordination or debauchery. This is about leadership in the home. The home is a place where character and godliness is revealed. It's very easy to be holy for one, two hours in the week, but at the home, be not as godly. We should stand away from general generalities, but overall, the idea of a preacher's kid or PKs is uh, a euphemism used in our culture where kids of pastors are generally seen as unsubmissive, rebellious, and unruly. This, is not, this should not be so. Men who cannot lead their children are unqualified to lead God's church. This does not mean they should be tyrants or dictators. Verse 4 says they should have all dignity in keeping their children submissive. A tyrant does not do this with dignity. He must patiently and charitably lead those in his charge. The story I tell a lot that impacted me the most when I was in college was the man who discipled me named Randy Phillips. Um, Some of you may know him. When I went to his house for the first time, I I was amazed with the way that he handled his home and kept his children submissive. He played with them on the floor, he ran around with them, and he disciplined them. I had never seen anything like it. I was transformed by seeing a man lead his home. This is the kind of home we should look for in a pastor, elder, or overseer, one whose home is marked by joy and obedience, dignity and respect. If a pastor cannot lead his little church, the home, how will he lead the big church? The next phrase I want to bring up is that not only should his holiness be marked in his marriage and his children, but it must, he must be hospitable. His closest relationships must be hospitable. Look at verse 3. It says, He must be respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Shepherds should smell like sheep because they are among the sheep. Their homes should be open. Being a pastor will require meeting, counseling, praying, preaching, and sacrificing time and resources. Everyone in the flock deserves care, and this will come through being sacrificial with your home. An overseer who would spend all of his time in his study, writing, vision casting, but not among the sheep, is a a contradiction in terms. Jesus spent time alone with his father, but the majority of the time he spent with his disciples. Many, many people, including myself, has had their lives changed through unmiraculous, ordinary Christian hospitality. Non-can soup, Maxwell House coffee, late-night conversations with elders can change people's lives. And many of you have had that happen to you as well. I've spent many late nights with our elders, and it has been a blessing to my soul. Pastors should love the sheep and be hospitable. They should smell like sheep. Not only should they be around and among the sheep, but they should have a good relationship with outsiders. So marriage, family, insiders, and outsiders. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. A pastor, overseer, elder, this team of people 
must have public and private lives that match, that are consistent. When was the last time an elder candidate had his neighbor interviewed in the process for approaching the eldership? The behavior in the public life of an elder or an overseer must support and undergird the gospel. The devil wants to discredit the gospel. And one of the ways he does that is by uh, bringing a reputation against a pastor, elder, or overseer. The elder must do his best to be above reproach in all of his dealings at the gym, at the restaurant, at the sporting event, in his neighborhood, in his job. 1 Peter 2.12 tells us that he must keep, we must keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they, see, they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Inward and outward, public and private life, consistent, marked by the gospel with the fruits of grace. Would an elder candidate, would their neighbor or coworker be surprised that they were elders? That's what we should ask ourselves. So relational integrity and self-mastery are the character that is required for the office of elder. There's one skill that an elder needs or a pastor needs, and that is the ability to teach. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, it majors on character. But the ability to teach is the one skill required. Elders take care of the spiritual needs of the congregation, while deacons take care of the physical needs of the congregation. Acts chapter 6, verse 4 tells us that the role of elder, overseer, pastor, that they should be devoted to the prayer and ministry of the word. The ascended Christ, as the chief shepherd of the sheep, puts his under-shepherds, um, elders, overseers, pastors, to shepherd his flock. They do it through the word of God. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, calls the church God's church. Not the pastor's church, but God's church. Titus chapter 1 calls them stewards. They steward the word of God and are stewards of the mysteries of God by proclaiming God's word. It is the primary task they are devoted to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Timothy is charged to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, elders that rule well should be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. In one of the other pastoral epistles, when Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says they should preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with complete patience and teaching. Pastors that, whose primary aim is not to preach the word is not a true pa- pastor. Pastors are not event planners or program developers. Those are businessmen. Pastors herald the word of God. A man without a Bible is a man without authority. And pastors exercise their authority in the Bible with preaching the word in the church. In Titus chapter 1, an overseer, pastor, should be able to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught and rebuke those who contradict it. A pastor, elder, overseer needs to handle God's word faithfully, to preach faithfully, and to rebuke faithfully. Healthy churches are marked by qualified men with godly character, a desire to do the work, and who love expositional and doctrinal preaching. As Steve Lawson says, no church can, high, can rise higher than its pulpit. And unfortunately today, many churches don't even have pulpits. We should have pastors who can handle God's word and preach it faithfully. And those type of pastors, elders, or overseers are blessings to God's church. But that's what we need more than anything else. We need God's word. We need to be sanctified, and we are sanctified through the living and abiding word of God. That is the one skill that's required. Character is primary, but preaching the word is the one skill necessary. And as we close, I want to make one comment uh, about the function of the office of elders. So we've talked about the qualifications, the desire for the work, character that undergirds the gospel, and the ability to teach. What I want to say now is that we get one little phrase in chapter 3 that gives us uh, some light on the function of the elder. Many other places in the scriptures talk about the function of an elder. 
But I want to highlight one particular phrase. Before I do that, I want to read Ezekiel chapter 34. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. So as we close, I want to talk about the function. These God-qualified men, these men who have godly character and are able to preach God's Word, how should they interact in the local church? So we have examples in the Old Testament of elders who had advocated their duty. And I think the same can be said today, in our, in our day, in the church in America. So read, let's read, starting in verse 1, in Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophecy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search them or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely, because my sheep have become a prey, my sheep have become food for the wild beasts, since there is no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. So this is a sober reminder that shepherds can advocate their responsibility, their responsibility to care for the sheep. So I want to turn your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, where we get a little glimpse of the function of elders. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the phrase, care for God's church, I want to use this as a contrast to what you see in Exodus chapter, or Ezekiel chapter 34. This Greek word for care, this verb, is used one other place in the Scriptures in the New Testament. And this is used to apply to the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, we get this amazing passage where uh, Jesus tells a story about this Samaritan who helps a broken man. This care that is given for this broken man and the Good Samaritan in this passage is the same word that's used here. The entire passage highlights the character of the overseer in chapter 3, and this speaks very loudly for us. In verse 33 in Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan has compassion, binds up wounds, pours oil and wine on those wounds. He puts him on his own animal, takes him to an inn, and pays his bill. And the word care for him is used there. The Good Samaritan takes a physically beaten man and sacrificially cares for all of his physical needs. An elder, overseer, pastor, takes spiritually broken people and sacrificially lays down his life to take care of that person's spiritual needs. A pastor is not a professional. Hired hands, professionals, they flee when it's hard. But a real shepherd enters into the suffering of his people and shepherds them through it. Elders don't preach the word for 30 minutes and call it a day. Biblical elders pour themselves out for the sheep. Ministry is not just for one hour a week, but it's all week. Many elders have roles laid out in Scripture. These roles are to manage, to rule, according to 1 Timothy. Acts 20, verse 28, and Hebrews 13 tells us that they should keep a watch over the flock. 1 Peter 5 says they should shepherd and give oversight. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 tells us they should equip the saints. James 5, 14 says that we should pray for the sick. Elders have an extensive job description, but this passage of the Good Samaritan encompasses it all. Well, I want to remember that Jesus 
is the true fulfillment of the Good Samaritan. He lays down his life for the sheep. He came not to the earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25 calls Jesus the chief shepherd and overseer of our soul. Elders take their cues from the chief shepherd, the chief overseer, and that is Jesus Christ. He was rich, and for our sake, he became poor. He's the antithesis of Ezekiel and the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34, strengthening the weak, healing the sick, binding up the injured, bringing back the strays, seeking the lost, and ruling with gentleness and grace. Pastors emulate the Lord Jesus. Many congregations don't have elders. And some that do don't even know their congregants' names. Jesus knows every one of our names. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. When congregations have shepherds that are like Jesus, who know the sheep and give themselves to them, the congregation is blessed. At GCC, we need more elders like this that give themselves to the sheep, men of desire and character and the ability to teach. I want to close with reading about the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10. Turn with me to John chapter 10, and then we'll pray. John chapter 10. Elders, pastors, overseers take their cues from the chief shepherd. doesn't run, but enters into suffering. John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, but does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Lord Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Pastors, elders, and overseers should do the same. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, it is a privilege to hear your voice, to know your mind on the office of of pastor, overseer, and elder, called men by you, who you've placed in authority to lead the flock of God. God, help every member here press into these qualities to aspire the office, if necessary, Lord, and if they don't aspire the office, to exemplify these qualities in in their workplace, in their home, and in their study. God, help us to raise up godly men who will preach the word and have character in this church. And Lord, as people leave this church over the next several years and go to other places, Lord, you would help them to think biblically and write about church leadership and how it's a blessing to the local church. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.